You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. In Philippians again, as we continue our series in the book of Philippians, we're going to be in chapter 3, one of the most famous passages in the New Testament. Philippians 3, 4 through 11. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. Thank you, Pastor. This, this should be a very familiar passage to you because it is a part of the passage we read last Sunday as we were talking about uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, and I want to revisit this particular uh, piece of that today and talk to you a little bit more and, and sort of extracting something out of here that we're going to really focus in and narrow in on today. And uh, this comes out of a number of uh, comments that were made last Sunday when I finished the sermon, um, and the whole thing that we want to kind of boil down to today is to look at this area of suffering for Christ and talk about that a little bit. Um, and um, I this this is a, a passage that I find to to be quite contentious among some Christians in American culture because we. We are not conditioned to suffer. We don't want to suffer. We do everything we can to not suffer. If you don't believe that is true, just stop by Walgreens on your way home and go down the pain relief aisle, all right? It's there, and it's just uh, a plethora of medications to try in some way to ease the discomfort that we might be experiencing um, as people. Um, Roy Campanella, some of you know that name, Campy. Uh, he, was, he was a baseball Hall of Famer. He was a catcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, he played in every All-Star game from 1949 to 1956. Uh, I, only, I only remember him through my father's talk. My father was a huge baseball fan uh, and uh, loved uh, the Atlanta Braves. Uh, but, but Campy was someone that... He came up in the ranks with knowing and, and watching. Um, he won uh, three of the most valuable awards that a baseball player can, can win. Um, he had record-setting seasons. Uh, he had an unbelievable career that was laid out in front of him. He was one of those guys that many commentators said, for Campy, the sky is the limit. And that was what was expected of him. But at the pinnacle of his career, if you will, 
Campy's life changed instantly on January 28, 1958, while driving home on a very icy evening. He lost control of his vehicle. He skidded into a telephone pole. He overturned his car. He broke his neck, and he was paralyzed from the shoulders down for the rest of his life. In a moment, his career, his life, everything changed for ever, all right? And he is accredited uh, with these words, and I would like to read these for you. Uh, they've been passed through many, many circles. Every chaplain I've ever worked with in the hospital setting has carried a card with this on it on, in, in their pocket. But uh, Campy calls this the creed for those who have suffered. He says, I ask God for strength that I might achieve I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for help that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might fill the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? That a man who had everything out in front of him, a man who, who was indeed ambitious, a man who, who had gusto and who wanted to experience so much, all of, if you will, of life, suddenly has his entire life just literally turned upside down and inverted in some ways. And, and seemingly in our eyes, even as Christians, lost so much at the end of it all says, I've gained everything. What, what is that? What brings that about? Barb and I had the uh, privilege, it was truly a privilege, to, to live with another family at one time in our life in this church uh, here in Sioux Falls. We came upon a difficult time, and uh, uh, the, the townhouses we were living in were sold out from under all of us tenants, uh, we were given a, a, a notice, a 30-day notice, but that's difficult when it's during December and it's Christmas and you go home to Georgia to be with your family for three weeks and you come back and there's a notice that in just a few days you have to be out of your home. Uh, and so you have nowhere to go and it's the dead of winter. And you can imagine the anxiety that, that we were in. And one of the couples in the church said, you can come and live in our basement. It's fully furnished. You can live there, live there as long as you need to uh, until you find, find a place. And God had us to stay there quite a significant period of time. Uh, and during that time, we walked with that family through uh, 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 an illness that the husband had. He had um, a, a muscular disease, uh, and it was debilitating, and he had had it for years and was bedridden. He was a, basically an invalid. He could talk somewhat, 
uh, and could eat and drink but had to be fed. He had to be completely taken care of. He was a ruddy, red-headed Irishman, just a big, strapping guy in the military. And it was in one of his military physicals or whatever that he was diagnosed uh, with this disease. Uh, And his wife, a nurse, took care of him over all of these many years. I sat down with him one day in his house uh, very well into the disease. He was very, very debilitated and would not so long after that pass away. And we, I would be with him during that time. Um, but he said to me, he said, he said Pastor, uh, in, in a very difficult voice to understand, but he said, Pastor, the best thing that ever happened to me was to embrace this disease. And I said, you know, I've heard a couple of other people say that, or I've read about people saying that. I said, but explain that to me. Just tell me how. How, are you, how do you say that? Are you just saying that because I'm the pastor and, and you want to say something that sounds really spiritual to me? Or do you really, really mean that? And he said, he, he, eyes teared up. And he said to me, he said, honestly, had I not encountered this disease, I would have never known Jesus Christ. It was in this struggle with this disease that I found the Lord. So this is the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And I don't for one minute of any day of my life, nor will I, regret this disease. And he embraced it, and God did not miraculously heal him, though we prayed every day for that. He lived out his life in this disease and was set free from it in his death on this earth. Uh, these are people that have great, my great admiration. I, I just so admire people who, in the midst of adversity and suffering, they come out on top. And here's what I, I want to say to you today. I, I, our church culture is not very good at handling suffering. Um, we, we have this great need to be pain-free. And we are trying to avoid suffering at all costs. Uh, we, and, and, and here's the thing. This suffering that I'm talking about can rob us of God's deeper work in our lives. But most Christians don't have, they, they just don't have a strategy for handling suffering. They don't know how to transition in and out of suffering. And, and here's what I want to say to you. You need to be prepared because all Christians suffer. And I know that there are people in the church world who, who would, I would create a great ire in them right now by just saying those words because they are convinced that because they are a Christian, everything should be great. They should always be happy. They shouldn't have need. As a matter of fact, everything they do is centered around bartering some way with God to get that that greater blessing or that more abundant blessing. Um, and, And the reality is all Christians are going to suffer. Either you have, you are, or you will. Acts chapter 14 verse 22 tells us that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
that entrance is not going to be void of difficulty or adversity or suffering in this life. It is going to happen to you. If I stood up here and said to you, all you've got to do is confess certain things, name certain things, do certain things, and you're always going to be blessed and you're always going to get back a greater return than what you invest, I'm sorry, but I am irresponsible as a pastor if I say those kinds of things to you. And this isn't about dogging some other group or some other belief system or anything like that. That's not where I'm going here. I'm just saying to you, this is where I land. Because I am your pastor and I care about you. And, and I, I believe I understand this, these scriptures enough to say to you, you know what? You are going to suffer. And I want to help you to not only understand that, but I want you to embrace that reality and when suffering comes your way and my way that we can stand with one another and we have strategies and ways to come out of that on top this reality is is, man it's just such a stark kind of reminder uh that that we've not reached the new heavens and the new earth folks the new jerusalem uh, it, it, uh, of no tears and no pain and all of that. It's not, it's not here yet. That place of no mourning and no sorrow and no death, it hasn't arrived yet, all right? There are, there are glimpses, there are aspects, there are pieces of the new heaven and the new earth, the new kingdom that come, and the kingdom of God is, is in us, yes. But we are, not li- we are living in a sinful and broken world, and we are going to face difficulties and sorrows here but but just because we experience suffering as we are waiting out this redemption if you will that 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 is is of this body okay we're we're we are being redeemed it doesn't mean that our suffering folks hear this it doesn't mean that our suffering is just random and without purpose it's you're not a ball in a pinball machine you're not something that just gets bounced around here and there and, and everywhere, if you will. And there's no sense of direction or purpose, all right? And, and neither does it mean that Scripture doesn't tell us how to think about our suffering. I believe it does. I believe the Scriptures inform us very much about how we are to approach suffering. And so this morning, I want to I cover about five things here to deal with in, in terms of how Every Christian should be ready to approach suffering because because I think this is key here in what Paul is saying. He's talking about all that that I gain. I I do count loss, and we're going to talk about that a little bit further here in this. But he's saying that the key here is that I may know him, meaning Jesus, and I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. See, he is... Paul is saying, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. But Paul understands that for there to be a resurrection, there has to be a death. And in all likelihood, for there to be a death, there is going to be some type of suffering that, that is a precursor to that death and that dying. And that may not be, for you, a literal death, praise the Lord. But it may be a death to things and a death to self. A dying out to certain things or desires or, or pleasures or, or dreams or ambitions or whatever. 
But the key here is that we get to that place where we are in Christ and we do know the power of His resurrection because we have died to ourselves. Therefore, we can be resurrected with Him. And even though we are dead, we live, yet it's not us living because now it is Christ living through us. And in that place, we can handle it. We can deal with it. We can work with it. So I'm going to give you about five things that I want you to, to, to carry away from this. I, I parsed all this out for you last week. We talked about these verses all last week, okay? But I want to zero in on this place of suffering this morning. And I want to give you these five things. And I also want to tell you what suffering is not this morning, all right? I want to, I want to kind, of, kind of define it as what it's, what it's not. And then I want to give you just a few strategies, three or four strategies that I think you need to, to uh, develop in your life that will position you so that when suffering and adversity comes your way, then you can handle it better, okay? And I realize for a number of you sitting here today that that suffering place has already arrived. And for some of you, you're in it now. And for some of you, you're looking back on the worst of it, perhaps. But this is something that, that I, I think will be very helpful for us. And here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to take notes, okay? And then I want you to leave here today trying to formulate some kind of strategy for how you can embrace, approach and embrace uh, and, and, and deal with the suffering that goes on in your life, all right? So I'm going to give you these five what I think are biblical truths about suffering, all right? First of all, folks, suffering is very diverse, all right. Suffering is very diverse. It has many different faces. The Bible doesn't whitewash our experience of suffering by saying, oh, it's just this one little thing. And it's just this one little little kind of thing you deal with. And you just you just got to got to move on. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do that at all. All right. What what Paul wrote as an apostle to the church at Corinth, he said, we are afflicted. That's the word he uses. We are afflicted. We're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. All right, we're afflicted, but we're not crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. In other words, there's confusion. There's things that are going on, but those things don't have to drive us to the brink. They don't have to push us to the edge and off. He says, we're persecuted. Oh, but we've never been forsaken. Never forsaken. He is with us to the very end. He says, we've been struck down. All right? In other words, we've been hit. We've, something's come in on us, he says, but we're not destroyed. We're not destroyed. In every one of those phrases, there is a hope element that he ends with. All right? Life might be tough, but there is a hope that we have where God is faithful and God is still good and God will come through for us. And in these kinds of verses, as Paul lists this, we see that suffering is mental, it's physical, it's emotional, it's spiritual. And these are all different ways that we can suffer. And here's the key. When this suffering comes, often Several of these types might be involved. You might be dealing with one area like physical 
uh, pain and suffering, but it's going to affect you emotionally. And that emotional struggle that you're going through, and you may have some childhood issues that have risen up in your life from time to time, and they are causing uh, a great deal of adversity to you mentally and emotionally. And, and, and that may even affect you physically in some ways as well. So see, they, these, these things can come at you. Why are you saying this, Pastor? Because I'm trying to help you to understand that these are common pieces to the body of Christ. These are places we will find ourselves from time to time. I, I don't want you to leave here and say, well, that's not going to happen to me. It might not happen to you, but it could happen to you because you're living in this broken and fallen world. And God has a plan for your life to use all things for his glory and for your good. And so God is able to work in this. And I want to prepare you to be able to embrace the work of God here, not just try to skirt or run from, hide from, avoid suffering in your life. I'm not saying run after it. I'm not saying go find it. All right. Please understand me. Uh, There's enough of it. You don't need to do that. All right. But what I'm saying is there's a way to go through it. There's a way to let God do his work in the midst of suffering. And so in all of these variety of ways that suffering can enter into your life, in no place would I say to you, freeze up or live in fear and paralyze yourself. I'm saying we're going to go out and we're going to do the will of God. We're going to fulfill the purposes of God. We're going to do all the things that God is calling us to do as the body of Christ. But as we do them, we are going to be able to embrace the things that come our way that could literally cut us off, interrupt us, take us out of the game, so to speak. We're going to be able to stand as we stand together in these things and deal with them and overcome the suffering life, all right? There are some of you, you are, you are fairly brand new to life church. Yet some of, some of your greatest suffering is going on even as you have entered into life church. Folks, it didn't happen because you came to life church. It happened because life is out there in front of you. Some of you have been in life church uh, for the, the, the onset or the beginning of life church itself. When we first planted the church, some of you have been here all of that time. And if you will be honest, you will say there have been places of suffering in your life. Physical suffering, mental anguish, emotional conflicts and challenges, all kinds of things. And, 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 and um, Ann and Paul have been in this church from the, from the very get-go. And, and uh, I think if, if, if you sat down and talked with them, they could share with you a couple of places where life church suffered along the way and where we we together as the body walk through the suffering of life church together over the years okay so these things are it's multifaceted it's out there suffering can come in a variety of different ways and places don't don't be surprised don't be caught off guard when it comes but know what it is and then let's realize what god can do with it okay here's the second thing i want you to understand about suffering and that is that suffering happens in community the church is folks the church is not meant to be this loosely bound kind of association of sort of like functional lone rangers all right everybody kind of doing their own thing but but having space between each other and not really being connected paul actually confronts this kind of thinking when in in galatians chapter 6 verse 2 he says to us this is his command to us as the church Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill 
the law of Christ. All right? We are to bear one another's burdens. The church is meant to be a refuge for those who suffer and when they suffer. All right? So it's not a place for you and I to come. And here's two things that can happen. We can be a part of a community of believers. And when we start to suffer, we back off. We isolate ourselves. We don't come in and let the body gather around us and love us and help us and take care of us and support us the way that we need to. The other thing that can happen is that some of us in the church, when people are suffering, can back away because we don't have a pat answer and a clean answer for them or we don't know exactly what to do and we feel uncomfortable by the situation. And so we don't step up and say, even though I don't understand and I don't have an answer, I want to stand with you. I want to encourage you. I want to support you. I want to be with you. I will pray for you. The one thing I can do is I can come and I can pray for you or or I can clean your your house or I I can take you to to whatever, wherever you need to go or something like that. Okay, so so we when a member of the church is hurting folks, the church applies the bandages. All right. When a member is down, the church encourages that member to get up. When a member is in need, it is the church that comes alongside that member to help them. That is the responsibility of the church. We are the church, and that is our responsibility. We need to personalize that and say, you know what? In covenant, I need to be there for others. And we need to to position ourselves there before an opportunity presents itself. We need to settle this in our heart that, you know what? I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to be the one to step out. I'm going to be the one that's going to go the extra mile. I'm going to be the one that's going to do this when it comes my way, regardless, even though I feel inadequate or I feel intimidated or I feel incapable in some way. And that's what the, 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 the enemy would intimidate you dramatically to try to stop you from connecting with one another in the body. And folks, God never intended for you to be a lone ranger. The Bible says that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Crouching at the door, if you will, with the intent of destruction. Maybe it's too hard for you to do. To just, but if you would like to, if you're interested, Google sometimes. Uh, there are videos that show you the hunt of the lion. And watch what it does. The lion pack will look and watch and crouch and creep up. The whole time they're looking and they're assessing and they're evaluating. And those lions that are, are the ones who are going to go after the prey, they're watching for the weak one. And then their intent is to cause the herd to run, to to, to bolt. But what they do is as the herd bolts, they move towards the weaker one. And the intent is to isolate that weaker one and to get it away from the rest of the herd that is strong. And they keep working as the herd is bolting to get that one away to the point that they are off by themselves. And then they pounce on that one to destroy it. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you need to be careful about letting yourself get alone when you are struggling. It's a dangerous place for you to find yourself alone in the midst of a struggle and suffering. 
Because that is exactly where the enemy wants you to be. And I'm telling you, you need to come in. You need to be a part of the, the community, if you will. We need to be there to help one another, okay? So suffering is multifaceted. It can come to you in all kinds of different ways, and it's going to happen in, in community, and we need to stay in community when it happens. We, we can't let suffering spread us out and isolate us in the body of Christ. And the third thing I want to tell you about suffering this morning is that suffering will equip you. Suffering will equip you. It will equip you for ministry, all right? First-hand experience in suffering is almost essential to equipping us for deeper levels of ministry to one another. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, and he says, God does this. God comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to do what? To comfort those who are in any other kind of affliction with the same comfort which we have already been comforted by God. So when you've gone through the hard place, when you've been in the pit and God has come in and God has pulled you up out of the pit and God has taken you through the adversity and through the hard place, in that place you get understanding, you gain understanding and revelation from God and you are able then to help that other person. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a pastor. I love being a pastor. I believe I have a pastor's heart. I believe I can cry over people quicker than anybody. All right? It just comes. Sometimes I'm with people and it just starts. And I'm like, shoot. I'm like, God, please just make me a man right now. All right? (laughs) David never cries. He just sits there in the chair. You know, why can't I be like David and not cry? I'm just, I mean, I'm bawling, you know. I mean, this is about the sissiest pastor in the world, okay? I'm sure this is no help to these people, you know. But, but it, 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 it's that way. I, I have a great deal of compassion. I have a great deal of mercy. I'll walk with anybody. I, and I'm not, a, I'm not intimidated by where you're walking. It can be quite a shaky bridge your own. Man, I will get on there with you. Not because I trust you or the bridge. I trust the God who is with us, all right? So I'll walk with you anywhere you are. I'll come and I will walk with you. But I'm going to tell you what. There are places I've never been. And there are places that some of you have been that I've never been. And you're better equipped to walk with that person than I am. Simply because you've been there and you've experienced the faithfulness of God in that place. If you're suffering the, 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 the pain and, 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 the, and the agony uh, of uh, a divorce, I'm not the best guy for you. Can I empathize with you? Can I love you through that? Can I be there for you? Yes, and I'm going to. I'm going to. But I'm also going to refer you to a couple of other people in the body who have been there and who have suffered that kind of pain and that kind of rejection and hurt because they know how God comforts in that place. Right? So God will use you. How? The link between experiencing suffering and equipping for ministry is, is quite unique, all right? But um, I would like to read from uh, an author, David P- 
Tollison is, is the, the, the guy. I, I just want to read this for you. He wrote Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. And uh, he says this. When you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. Wow. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. You know what he's doing. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into his image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. That is part of what we do as the body, is we sanctify one another through what we have to give as we are going through these difficult and adverse seasons of our lives. Every one of you, by virtue of suffering, have been equipped to minister to someone else. And I would lay down a challenge at this point to say, find that place where you are able to reach another and touch them because you have gained from the place in which you yourself have suffered and been comforted by God in that place. And then comfort them in the same way, allowing God to use you as a vessel, as a conduit, if you will. All right? So... Suffering is diverse, comes from all kinds of places. Suffering happens in community. It shouldn't separate us. It should draw us closer together. Suffering will help us to be better ministers to one another. And number four, suffering is a battleground. Wherever there is uh, suffering, there is a battle that is going on. A battle for your soul. I want you to understand, this is beyond just the suffering. The book of Job shows us that there are two ways, at least, to respond to suffering. One, that curses God and uh, curses Him because of the suffering. And then there's one that praises God, even in the midst of suffering. When Job was at that lowest point, Job chapter 2, it says that his wife comes to him and says, great wife here, says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Isn't that just what you just need to hear about that time? God, I don't know what to do. God, I, I can't handle this. God, I can't go through this. God, this is more than I can handle. But your word tells me that, that, that you will give me everything I need to go through this. And then your spouse walks up and says, do you think you got integrity right here? Why don't you just curse God and die? No, no. Job holds fast here. And he even says, we, will we not resist evil here? Will we, will we, we not resist this temptation to sin out of our lips here? And he, and, he, and he calls back to this place of trusting God and holding to God and ultimately seeing God as good. What am I saying in this? I'm saying that there is a battle raging and this battle really is beyond this, this issue of suffering, whatever you're in at that moment. But it is a, a battle about use, all right? And here's what I wanna, wanna, how I want to explain that. Satan desires to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will try and use everything possible against you to wear you down, 
All right? Steal your joy, kill your hope, and destroy your soul. And he will do that in a progression if he is allowed to. All right? But God, on the other hand, will use your suffering to conform you to the image of Christ, to strengthen and prepare you for the work of the kingdom, to be a blessing and a benefit to others, and to ultimately display his glory on this earth through your life. That's the battle that is going on. When you are in that place of adversity, difficulty, suffering, whatever, in that place there is a battle that is waging that is a heavenly battle, if you will, that's going on. And if you're not careful, you become the pawn. And that's what I don't want to have happen for you. I want you to be able to recognize that you're in a place of adversity, that something is coming against you, and begin to cooperate with God in what He would do in you and through you and for you so that you can be victorious coming out of that. God will use your suffering to conform you to the image of Christ. In other words, in this difficult place, the redemption is, I can be more like Jesus. I can be, I can be sharpened. I can, I can be honed. I can be strengthened. I can be shaped. I can be molded. We're not saying that, that there isn't pain here. I'm not in any way diminishing that when you are suffering, that there is not great pain, agony, and, and all other things that come along with that, okay? I'm not, I'm not denying that for one minute. I'm not saying suck it up and just pretend nothing is going on by any means. I, I understand that you could be in a place of great pain and great agony and great remorse and great affliction and all these kinds of things. But what I'm saying is God can be in there and God can be working in there and, and God's glory can shine through these places of suffering if, if you will allow Him to do so. And so you stand in this battle knowing that when God arises, the enemy is scattered. And so you live out this adversity, if you will, in this place of, of, of having confidence in God, not in, in the world or in the adversity. So you have a choice here in which direction you yield yourself. What are you going to feed? Are you going to feed this work of the enemy that is trying to come against you and yield there? Or are you going to stand with God and, and appropriate the promises that God has for you? The last thing I want to bring out here about suffering this morning for you and I as Christians is that suffering prepares us for a greater glory. Suffering prepares us for a greater glory. Now this, one of the very sort of like counterintuitive truths about suffering is that it prepares us for glory. That it, it actually, there's actually going to be a benefit. How can there be, there's no benefit to suffering. Well, yes, there is, according to, to, to God. There is, all right? Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. It says, and, and this is the way, way Paul describes it, all right? He, he uses the term affliction. I mean, when I think of affliction, when I think of being afflicted, I think that's intense, okay? But he says, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, the outcome here, if God is in this thing, there is no comparison to that. All right? And in terms of what you're going through, you, you can't even throw a ball in there. You can't, you can't even get, get close to that. He says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. All right? But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And I'm going to tell you something. These types of verses, man, they are like sandpaper on our thinking if we're just going to go with the flow of the world today. Because the world says, don't do anything that won't make you happy. But everything that will make you happy, you do everything you can to do it. All right? I mean, that, that is the culture that we are bombarded with out there. But the reality is that God is saying, hey, there's an eternal perspective. There's an eternal mindset here. You don't look just in this temporary world for your joy, for your fulfillment, for your completion, for your contentment. You don't live here in this world for those things. You live in the reality that the eternal Godhead is on your side. And everything that is happening here can have a redeeming component to it. And that redemption under the power of the resurrection is to lift you up and bring you to life. Life abundant that is in Jesus Christ. And you're living that life even now in this world. So the glory of God can, can and will shine through us. Because God is eternal and he's working this wonderful, wonderful weight of glory in us. All right. Now, we naturally try to avoid suffering at all costs. But but God brings God allows, if you will, suffering in our lives for the sake of our eternal joy and glory. All right. His glory. God's not as interested in your happiness right now as you are. He's not interested in ticking you off. He's really not interested in in making you upset or angry. He's not interested in punishing you. This is not what we're talking about here. But he is interested in you revealing his glory in this earth and eternally. And so what he is doing is he is dealing with everything that comes across your path in such a way as to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to help you this morning by equipping you. I want to be able to help you equip yourself, if you will, to handle, you know, to go through times of suffering for Christ um, or suffering just in a broken world, all right? But let me just right here tell you what suffering, as we're talking about it here, is not, all right? And I want you to really think about this as believers, as Christians in community. Suffering is not an opportunity for Christians to become victims. Suffering is not an opportunity for you as a Christian to become a victim. That is not, nor ever should it be, your identity. You are not a victim in this world. You are not a victim in this earth. There are adversities and things that will come against you and hit you in this world because it is a broken world and it is a sinful world and broken and sinful people are out there and we're called to bring the gospel to them. Affliction is going to come your way. And some of your affliction is on your own. All right? It's on your shoulders. Some of it, there's nothing you could have done about it. All right? But it happened. But God is not so random. And God is not so... Uh, unsovereign 
so that he does not have order to all of this and that he wouldn't give order to all of this and he wouldn't redeem it and wouldn't use it. That isn't the way God works. You need to understand who you're not in Christ, that is, a victim, all right, and understand who you are in Christ so that you can live out of that right identity as you deal with the circumstances and situations of your life and not just your suffering, even just your decision-making. And so we live out of this ability, according to Philippians, we're going to talk about it a little further down, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have that ability. You're made more than an overcomer in Christ. You are strengthened in Christ. You are encouraged in Christ. You are built up in Christ. You are steadfast in Christ. You're stabilized in Christ. He is your foundation. He is the cover over you. He is the sure thing underneath you. He's your rear guard. He's the light going before you. He is everything that you have need of. The all-sufficient, all-giving, all-loving, all-knowing, all-being, God Almighty, three in one. He has everything you will ever need to ask for already at his disposal all you've got to do is live under the cover of jesus christ as a son as a daughter as a joint heir with jesus he is your heavenly father don't you back up because of an adversity in your life and say well look what come against me and look what's happened to me and if only i'd have been like that person or if i'd have had that or if i'd have done this or all right well god didn't come through for me here or god didn't do this or god didn't do that or well the enemy got the 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 foothold the enemy can't get anywhere that God does not allow him to get. He, God is the sovereign one. Satan is not. All right? This may just shoot some of your theology to crazy places, but there, it, get in the word. All right? Stand on this reality. Stand on this truth that you cannot be a victim if you are a child of God. It just doesn't work. All right? It's, it's just, it can't be that way. All right? So, so I want to tell you today that that you have the ability to rise up and be an overcomer in every circumstance and every situation that you are in. So when this battle comes against you, you have the ability to come against the battle, if you will. You have the ability through the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection to do everything you can to stand, and then when you do, you stand. All right, now. I'm going long. I'm sorry. I, I had hoped to really not go so long today. Um, but but I, I got to give you a few more things here. But before I do that, I, I, I want to pray for you. I want, would you, this is crazy to some of you because I'm going to do this in the middle of the sermon and not at the end. So if you're really extremely type A, please forgive me and just stand up with me right now. Okay? Just stand up. We're just going to do it. We're going to go right back in there. All right? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? If you're comfortable doing so, would you just open your palms uh, towards heaven? That's just simply a symbol of receiving right now, okay? And I want to pray for you right now. And this is a confessional kind of prayer for us to be overcomers, all right? Father, our bodies are the temple for the Holy Spirit, redeemed and cleansed and sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, the members, the parts of our body, Lord, are instruments of righteousness, God, yielded to you, God, for your service and for your glory. Father, the devil has no place in us. The devil has no power over us. 
The devil has no unsettled claim against any of us. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. All has been settled by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that we as God's people will be overcomers of Satan by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, by the love of our own lives, not even unto death, Father, that we are crucified in our flesh, that we are crucified in our self, that we are crucified in our ego, that we are crucified in our ways, that we are crucified in our desires. Father, let our body be for the Lord and the Lord for our body, and let us give you glory and honor and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Let me wrap it up here. I, w- I want to give you um, a little bit of strategy here, if you will. I'm going to take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, and, and I want to I give you an example, all right? I, I always feel like examples are really good. Like I look for a person that if I want to uh, emulate something in my lifestyle or I want to make a change in my lifestyle, I, especially if I'm dealing with something that is a sin or a bondage to me in some way, I look for the person who's overcome. I look for someone who's already mastered that part of their life and they've overcome in that area or they are, they're operating in the really good strategies for, for being effective in, in that. And, and so um, I want to I give you an example here. Listen to Paul as he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 21. He says, To my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, he says. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship. Through many a sleepless night. In hunger and thirst. Often without food. In cold and exposure. And apart from other things. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the one things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. If anybody in this room can match that or, or, or better, I, I, I'll open this pulpit to you right now. This is, this is the man who laid the foundation for the early church of Jesus Christ. This is the man who earlier, as David read, said, I count it loss, everything that I thought. We read the earlier boast. All right. That boast was about his personal accomplishments. But he goes on to say, I'm going to count all of that a loss. All of that's done for the sake of knowing Jesus and him and his sufferings. 
You know, it really doesn't take long until, until we wonder how in the world he did it. You know, when you start reading Paul, you start to think, wow, 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 all right? How did he take so much pain? How did he take so much adversity, so much loss? How did he prepare himself for suffering? And I think we have to come back to this passage that we read today, that David read to you, where he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Strategy number one, count everything a loss. Count everything a loss. All right? Let's. I'm, I'm trying here to just sort of unfold this very significance of how Paul counted all of his gain as a loss. Basically, he, he, he took a long look at life apart from Jesus Christ. All the things that he valued, his Jewish pedigree, he still has it, all right? The place uh, in, the, in the upper echelon of religious society, his law-keeping, uh, he, he still kept the law, all right? He took a long look at the list. And what he did is he just stamped over that loss. All right? Some of you just, you need to make your list, and with a giant Sharpie, you just write over it. Loss. All right? But then he goes a step further here. And it wasn't just the past values of his personal life that he was looking at here. It wasn't just whatever gain he had back there. But Paul it seems, looks into the future and he declares everything as lost. Not just what is past, but what is now, all right? Everything that, that, that could pass as positive in his life. Everything good that he has yet to experience. And he's going to experience some good things, some. But that's a loss. That's not where his heart is registering. That's not where his grip is. Is that, all right? So everything, I'm not telling you today to throw away all your dreams. I'm not telling you to clear out your house. I'm not telling you to give up everything that, that you desire or that you hold precious to you. I'm not asking you to walk away from everything this earth could afford you. That is not what I'm trying to do here. I'm just saying, don't hold on to it in such a way that it rules you and grips your heart and won't let you go and you won't let it go and it becomes idolatrous to you at best. And destructive to you at worst. So count everything a loss. Those are the, not the things that are going to save you. Those are not the things that are going to have eternal weight. So hold them lightly, if you will. All right? Don't let them get a hold of you. All right? Everything compared to Jesus Christ is a loss. And that's the way we have to live. All right? Everything compared. Let me go further. Everything compared to Jesus Christ and obedience to his will. It's a loss. It's a loss. All right, so that's strategy number one. Understand that right away. Everything's a loss. Strategy number two is that you would understand that this is normal Christianity to suffer. All right? We sort of think this puts Paul on sort of a pious pedestal and that he is... Uh, He's at some spiritual level that, you know, like we've never reached. Um, but 
But this sort of reckoning that Paul is doing here, that really, folks, is normal Christianity. All right? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In other words, I'll get rid of everything to possess Christ. I'll lay down anything that gets between me and knowing Jesus Christ. Luke 14, 33 says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Does that mean you have to give up everything and live a vile poverty? No, that's not what we're saying. But it can't hold more value than Jesus. It can't rule you to move you outside of the will of God. And, and it may be good for us to hear this a few times as we're going along and tell it to one another until actually it feels uncomfortable for us, all right? That it seeks, sinks in. Sometimes I can preach this kind of stuff to you and it kind of goes over you. Are you kind of like, you deflect it and you just like catapult it to the person behind you and say, okay, they needed that, you know. And, 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 and you, you don't really like apply it. You don't really engage with it, all right? Say it a few times, all right? Everything's a loss except knowing Christ, all right? And so, so as you look into your future, as you look around you, declare it all a loss, if you will, all right? Everything that could pass is positive. Let it, let it go, if you will. I'm not saying you have to give it up. Just let it go in that it has a higher influence on you than it, than it should. Okay? So, count everything a loss. Understand that this is normal Christianity. It, it, it needs to be conviction for us, folks. It needs... Here, here's the thing. It, it, it's not, we, we talked about works righteousness last week. It's not works righteousness to say that, that saving faith in Jesus means we have to really love him. All right? That, that's not, that's not um, works righteousness, loving him. We, we love him. All right? It, it, it's, it's really works righteousness to think that our really loving him is the reason why we're saved. We're saved because he first loved us. And now we love him for what he has given to us. He has redeemed us out of this world. And we live out of that redemption, all right? So Paul's saying, compared to that, everything else is a loss. The, the, this, he calls it this surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. In other words, it passes everything. It's, it, just, it just runs to the top. Strategy number three. You need to be convinced in your heart before adversity ever comes and you suffer that Jesus is better. That Jesus is better than anything that you have. That suffering is nothing more than taking away a bad or good things that the world offers you for your enjoyment, such as your reputation, your esteem among peers, your job, your money, your spouse, your sexual life, your children, your friends, your health, your strength, your sight, your hearing, your success, all these kinds of things, all right? When these things are taken away, either by force or by circumstance or by choice, we suffer. We suffer in some way, all right? But if we've followed Paul and the teachings of Jesus and we've already counted them as loss for this, this value of knowing and gaining Christ, we're prepared to suffer. I'm not saying you won't suffer. I'm saying you're prepared to suffer. And you're prepared to let God do what he needs to do in you as you suffer. Because your hand is not in the world. Your hand 
is in Jesus. All right? And so you need to be convinced that Jesus is better. All right? So when it comes to, to, to being a Christian, you just got to write a big red loss across the things in the world except Christ that call to you. And they may be different for you than they are for someone else. All right? And I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm saying the pain and sorrow could be great. I'm not saying you won't have pain and sorrow in these places. I have a couple of dreams that I had growing up, and I, I laid those down for Jesus. They, they were big dreams to me. They were, they were important to me, but I laid them down for Jesus. And here's the thing. If I go back and just start dwelling on those things that I laid down for Jesus, I could get probably depressed. All right? I, 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 could, I, I might even find myself resenting a bit. Can't do that. Jesus is more valuable. Jesus is more important than those things in this earth that I would have looked to to give me success or to give me affirmation or to make me happy. All right? Strategy number four. Okay, so strategy number one is count everything lost. Strategy number two is understand that this is normal Christianity we're talking about. I'm not asking you to do something outlandishly crazy. I'm asking you to be a normal Christian by just having Jesus. All right? Strategy number three, I want you to be convinced that Jesus is better. There's no other better option. Strategy number four, cultivate loving him above everything else and do it today. You and I don't know the sorrows that we're going to meet tomorrow or another day. We just, we don't know. We don't know what hardships God is going to to call us to walk through. And even though we don't know them, though, we can prepare for them. And the way we do that, folks, is we gain Jesus now. Jesus and the power of his resurrection, we gain him now. It's not going to minimize your pain, probably. Not at all. But we will know, even in the darkest night of situations, that Jesus is our God, our all. That he is our rock, he is our treasure, he is enough. And that's the way we suit up, if you will. Suffering is going to take place. And I could give you verse after verse in the, in the New Testament that talks about suffering. But, but let it suffice to say that we can, we can be overcomers. We can, we can be strategic, if you will, with God. We, we can be victorious. We can, we can do this thing. We can do it in community together because we know our God and we are willing to lay down everything that gets between us and him. And you can be able to walk through the greatest adversities of your life if you know this Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to share the gospel. We've been invited into community. We've been invited into community by uh, Laura, who spoke about the Sahara, by the unreached people groups. We've been invited into community as we fellowship with one another here in the body and discover how your week was, how your day was, what, what are you facing next week. We are invited into community. Jesus Christ came into community with us. He dives into life with us. He lived, he died, but he was not defeated. He rose again, and one more promise he gives us, I will return, I will come, I will walk with you, I will live with you, and our joy is that we become more and more like him, and we choose to walk closer and closer with him through whatever struggle comes. This is our hope, that Jesus Christ 
walks with us, lives with us. I'm going to pray you are dismissed at that point. The prayer team will come forward, and they want to be here because they want to walk with you. So if you have something that you would just like to talk to somebody about, please take this opportunity. Join us. Join in life with us here in Life Church. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. For you saw the suffering that we would walk through, and you sent your son that he would live just like we do, suffering like we have in every way, yet never defeated, rose again from the dead, and he lives now as our eternal king to lead us into that place of life and hope. We pray this in Jesus' name.